Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. I'm going to be reading two verses that were written by uh, a Jewish king who was named Solomon. He, at one point in his life, was known as the wisest man in the world. And I'm going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, as you can tell, this this message is going to be very encouraging this morning as we look at the vanities of vanities. And I have entitled my message this morning, the first message of 2023, If I Could Talk with Tom Brady. That's the title of my message this morning. And uh, for those of you who may not know who Tom Brady is, um, he is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. And in a league, a professional league, where the average lifespan of a quarterback is 4.4 years, Tom Brady is in his 23rd season as a professional quarterback. Now, as he's been in the league, he has been to the greatest game that you can play in, in the NFL, which is the Super Bowl. He's been to it 10 times. While there, he has won it seven times, and he has been the MVP five times. Now, the closest person to, um, to him, I think, is maybe Brett Favre or someone who's won the MVP three times. He's won it five times, and he has won the MVP for the entire NFL three times. Um, humanly speaking, he has lived a life that many you know, would die to have. They would die to have uh, because his playing career, his career on the field has earned him fame. It's, it's, it's earned him fortune. It's earned him access to basically anything in this world, in this life that his heart desires. But with that said, I want you to listen to what he said in an interview back in 2005 uh, on 60 Minutes when Steve Croft interviewed him. I want you to listen to what he says. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I think it's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Isn't that amazing? Um, he said, I, I, there's got to be more than this. And Steve Croft said, as you just heard, he said, well, what's the answer? He said, I wish I knew. Now, if you had the chance to sit down with Tom Brady, and that was the question you had to answer, what would you say to him? What would you tell Tom Brady of, of why he feels that there's something greater out there than what he has accomplished. How would you counsel him? Would you be like 
a lot of people who might would try to, you know, tell them, look, man, you're overreacting. I mean, look at all that you've accomplished. You need to be grateful for what you've been given. There's a lot of people who don't have what you even begin to have what you have. You know, so would you try to counsel him that way? Well, if I had the opportunity to sit with Tom Brady, in my mind, here's what I think I would do. I would give him at least three truths that are found, from, that, that are found in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, as to why, and I would try to answer, why does he feel that there's something greater out there than what he has accomplished? And the first thing, if I sat down with him, I think what I would do is I would give him credit. I'd say, man, you, you have a lot of guts to express publicly something that most of us are asking, right? Or all of us are asking. On that, and you did it on national TV. And Here's the first, if you're taking notes, here's the first gospel truth that I would tell him, that I would tell him. I would say, listen, Tom, we're all searching for the same thing. I would want him to understand you're not alone in what you're feeling. What you're asking really is what is the meaning of life? That is a question that we're all asking. And, you know, that is the main question that King Solomon is seeking to answer in the book of Ecclesiastes. I already read verse 2 at the beginning of the book. What does he say? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanities. He's saying what Tom Brady just said. He's saying there's got to be more than this. And that is because, and we talk about this a lot here, that we all want to live lives that count. Teenagers, Young people, you want to live lives that count. And so do us old people. We want to still live lives that count. And everybody that's in between, we all have that same desire. We want our lives to have meaning. We want our lives to have purpose. We want to know that we're on the winning team that is heading in an upward trajectory. And, you know, for me... Some of the times I've been, you know, when I've been most aware of that, of wanting to know that I lived a life of purpose, it's when I go back to a class reunion, a high school class reunion. Have you ever gone back to a high school class reunion? 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Warren, how many? 55, 55 years. You go back to your class. <laughs> wow, 55, that's awesome. Uh, you go back there. And uh, it's, it's very interesting to me because it's a time where we subtly examine one another, don't we? Because you're, you're kind of standing around, and here's the question that everybody's asking. So, what are you doing? What are you doing? And you know what we're saying when we ask that question? We're saying, hey, what have you done with your life since you graduated from high school. And you know what I want to, I want to tell everybody? I want to say I, I've won the Super Bowl. Or, you know, something, something that'll be, whoa, you've really, you've really done something with your life. I don't want people to think that my life is a failure. And, you know, um, the guy who won the Super Bowl, back on that video, that was uh, in 2005, I think he'd only won it three, only won it three times. He's won it seven times now. But he's, he says 
after winning it, he says there's got to be more than this. And, you know, if, if we're honest, we often set goals in our life. We're in 2023. This is a time when we look at our lives last year and we go, you know, in 2023, I want to set some goals. Why? Why do we set goals? To lose weight. We want to get uh, a, maybe a degree. We want to get a better job. We want to have that family that we've always dreamed of. We want to unlock the next level on that video game. We set goals, don't we, to, to achieve. We, we want to, to know that we are that our lives have purpose, that they have meaning. But, you know, once we get those Super Bowl rings, once we reach our goals, have you ever noticed that you usually go, there's got to be more than this? Why is that? Why is it that we're all, every single one of us in this room, are searching for the same thing, something to invest our lives in that will give us purpose and meaning. Well, I think part of that answer is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, where, it says, where Solomon says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put, look at this, eternity into man's heart. God has put eternity into our hearts. And what I take that to mean is that when God, our creator, I want you to think, God, our creator, God created you. He specifically created you to be like you. He thought about you when he was putting you together. He created you. When he created you, when he created me, he didn't create us to be like rocks. He didn't create us to be like plants or animals that are not eternal. He put within us an eternal soul. And because he put an eternal soul within us, that soul desires eternal things. And we were created by God with the desire to live. Listen, we were created by God to, with the desire to live with eternal purpose for eternity. You guys following me? We want what we do to be eternal, to last. And King Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes because he's just like you and me. He has an eternal, he had, well, he has an eternal soul. And when he lived here, he longed for eternal meaning. He longed for immortality. In, in chapter 1, verse 12, this is what he does. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In, in chapter 2, verse nine, uh, verses 9 through 10, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. I, and I want to stop here on that little phrase there. He says that his wisdom remained with him. Basically, what he's saying here is that he wasn't like living out of control. He wasn't controlled by his desires. He was, he was operating in his desires from wisdom. Verse 10, he says, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward 
for all my toil. So it's like God came to Solomon and he gave him the keys to the world. And he commissions him to seek out the mean of life. And so what does Solomon do? If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that he pursues knowledge. He studies, he reads, he, he pursues wisdom. He seeks to satisfy himself with materialism and pleasure. He accomplishes great works with, with his hands. He builds things. He has things. It, God gives him power. He gives him fame. He gives him honor. And he does what our society tells us to do. Pursue your dreams. He, he didn't let anything stand in the way of his dreams, and he achieved all of his dreams. Nothing stopped him. And once he gets to the top of everything that he could experience in this life of value, at the end of it all, Solomon comes back to us with a report. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is, is about. I encourage you to read it. It's 12 chapters. Actually, if you're, gonna, if you're reading with us through the, uh, our Bible plan, which we started the, Old Test, the second part of the Old Testament, you will read Ecclesiastes this year in that reading plan. But he discovered something as he was reading it. Number one, that we're all searching for the same thing. Number two, this is the second truth I would share with Tom Brady if I was talking to him. I would say that King Solomon has found that all is vanity. We already read about that in verse 2, but let's look at verse 11. It says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and, I, and a striving after the wind. And there is nothing to be gained under the sun. In other words, nothing I did was eternal. I couldn't keep it, is what he's saying. Man, that's, that's, that's disheartening, isn't it? Um, and that word vanity, it's a Hebrew word, the Hebrew word habel, which means mist, it means vapor, or it means like mere breath. And so when Solomon is saying that things are, everything is vanity, you might have a translation that says everything's meaningless. And that's not a full, I don't think that's a full picture of what, that, what he's trying to convey here. He's not saying that, that life has no meaning. God created all things, so all things have meaning. But what he's, he's saying is that in our work and, and in our play and in, in our relationships, uh, those things in and of themselves cannot be the meaning. Otherwise, it will be vanity. He's saying that like, that like a mist or a vapor, nothing in this life in and of itself has eternal meaning. And therefore... It is vanity if we make them our ultimate meaning. And he comes to this conclusion, I think, for several reasons. And if you, again, you need to read the, the entire book of Ecclesiastes to, to uh, see these reasons. But I want to give you four reasons that he gives of why he comes to the to point where he sees that everything is vanity. Number one is that life continues with or without you. We need to grasp that that life continues with or without you. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 4. He says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains 
forever. The earth remains forever. In other words, and then he says what he means by that, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it, it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. He's saying, you know, life is repetitive, whether you're here or not. This terrestrial ball that we call earth is going to continue to spin with all its seasonal cycles just as it did before you came on to this earth, and it will continue to do so when we're gone. That is so encouraging, isn't it? So life continues with or without you. That, that's vanity. Um, number two, a second reason I think he says that life is, van is vanity is because life is slippery. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, have you ever noticed that trying to hold on to life is like trying to grasp oil or, or trying to, to grab smoke? Um, we, we spend a lot of time trying to get our lives balanced, trying to get things just right for, for us. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? We go to school, we study hard, we get insurance, we try to, we, we try to be in shape, we try to have healthy lives, we try to, uh, if we have children, we try to raise our children right. We, we do all these things to try to keep everything balanced. And right when, you know, that one time maybe, you think, oh, I'm there, all it takes is that troubling phone call or that text just to knock everything over. Life is, is so slippery. It's, it's elusive. This life is. First uh, Peter 1.24 says that all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. It's talking about us. The grass wither, withers and the flower falls. The Word of God teaches that we are like we're like fresh-cut flowers that are slowly wilting in a vase. And, you know, uh, for me to, to realize this, all I have to, that, that life is slippery, that I can't hold on to it, all I have to do is look back at pictures. Um, just this, this week, if you've been to our house, you know that we have coffee mugs and people have given us gifts that have pictures of our family on it. And I was looking at one yesterday, just yesterday, that was a picture of us four years ago, one of my children four years ago. And I was like, they don't even look like that anymore. They have grown so much since then. We were at Christmas um, talking to our niece who has a, a daughter, a little daughter. And we're in that stage where we're like, oh, I remember when we were there and I showed her a picture of me and Kelly when we had our firstborn, and she has her firstborn. She's the same age as we were. And, and she looks at it, and she goes, wow, you used to look so young. And I was like, thanks for reminding me that life is full of vanity. Life is slippery. Life continues without us. And then a third truth is that life is 
not fair. Have you ever noticed that? Life is not fair. Solomon noticed that. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. The oppressors had been given the power to oppress. And there was no, no one to comfort them. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. And here's why. For the high official is watched by the higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. In other words, those who are, who are in power, they have each other's backs because they have to do that in order to stay in power. If you're corru- and if you're corrupt, that means that they are going to keep justice from prevailing. In chapter 7, verse 15, speaking of how life is not fair, he says, in my, li- in my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. He, in other words, what he's saying is, there's, I've seen somebody do what is right, and they died for it. And then I've seen somebody, people do what's evil, and they get to prolong their lives. Solomon is saying, life is not fair. And there is a fourth reason that Solomon says that there's, life is full of vanity, and that is that life ends with death. We all die. He says in chapter 7, verse 2, it is better to go to the house of of mourning, those who are mourning over death, than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay it to heart. He's saying that no matter how wisely you live, how gifted and successful you are, how healthy and strong and blessed you are in this life, the inescapable truth is that at some point, everything in your life is going to fail you because you're going to die. Um, Chapter 3, verse 20 says, All go to one place. All are from the dust. To the dust all return. He is reminding us of Genesis where God took dust and created Adam. And we're going to go back to dust. Death is that one haunting and sobering truth. It's that spade that trumps everything we do in life. And here's what I've noticed. Nobody likes to talk about it, not even us. I can just feel right now the heaviness in this room of me talking about death. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. And, and you know, death disturbs us, doesn't it? It disturbs me um, for at least two reasons. First reason is, is that it's because we have to leave it all behind. Death is disturbing to us because we have to leave it all behind. 
Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18, he said, I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be the master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I mean, if you really think about it, I don't know what you have in life. I don't know what you, if you've gotten to that place where you've accumulated anything. But what he is saying here is that everything that you've worked for, your car, your house, your bank account, anything that you have accumulated when you die will be left behind for somebody else. And you don't know how they're going to manage it. They might squander it. That right there is vanity, isn't it? That's one reason that uh, we don't like that life ends with death. There's another reason, and this is one that I really don't like, and it is that we will all be forgotten. Ecclesiastes 1.11 says, No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Then in Ecclesiastes 9, he says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. And, you know, sometimes it feels, in this life, it feels like this is all there is, and, like, I'm going to live forever. I know I'm going to die, but there's something in me... uh, for some reason, I know that St. Peter won't call my name. Where, where you think that you're not going to die, uh, that we'll always live forever, and that we'll always be remembered that, you know, life is about me. Um, even though we, we can think that, even though most of us, many of us in this room, don't even know the names of our great-grandparents. Well, let me just back it up one more. Our great-great-grandparents, who they were. They, at one time, were young and had lives and desires and were asking the same questions. What is the meaning of life? And in in this earth, our lives are filled with reminders that we're going to be forgotten one day. I mean, all we have to do is look at this room in here that we're sitting in. Um, this, This building that we're sitting in here was constructed in the 1960s, where many of us were not even alive when this building was constructed Um, There was a time when right along this way right here, there was a wall. And you can see where these partitions would have been. Those were Sunday school classes. That's why there's a switch right there and a light. Right where you're sitting were pews. And this place was packed out with congregants. There was a choir that sang back here. Pastors preached up here. You know who preached in here? The first time that we came here, they, they they were sure to tell me, that Billy Graham, Billy Graham preached right here. So I know where he stood, so when I stand there, the power just comes out of me. Thank you, Billy. Billy Graham preached in here. We, you probably didn't know that until I just told you that. This place was teeming with life. It was so much that that's why they built this, this building next door. This was the original uh, sanctuary or worship center. 
And they built all the other parts there because they were flourishing, children, older people, younger people, and everything in between. And about five years ago, the Lord blessed us through Westwood to be able to come over here. They weren't using this, this facility. And they said, you can, you can remodel this, this facility if you want to. And so we came in here, and literally in just a few minutes, a few minutes, we ripped down everything that was right there. We painted the ceilings. We painted the walls. We put new flooring. We extended the, the stage here, put down new flooring. In, in other words, and this doesn't, this doesn't go well when you really think about it, we, we kind of like erased any trace or evidence that a flourishing generation had been here before us. And we fulfilled the scripture that says no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. In other words, one day we will join the forgotten generations. I don't like that, but it's true. We have to walk in this truth if we're going to get to eternal life, okay? We have to speak the truth. We're going to get to eternal life, but I don't like this. We're going to be forgotten. And that's why our hearts, when we live, that's why Tom Brady, when he achieved things, he said, there's got to be more to life than this. What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? Praise God, he gives us the meaning. God is the meaning of life. Verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, I perceived that, look at this, whatever God does endures forever. I love that. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Did you catch what Solomon said? He said that whatever God does endures forever. And so the very thing that we desire, eternal purpose, eternity, and the very thing that overcomes the fear of us being forgotten is found in our eternal creator, God. He, he never forgets us. And, and Solomon, after he goes through his life and he goes through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, he closes it out in chapter 12, verse 13, by saying this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. And here's the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What is he saying? What is Solomon saying here? He's saying that although life is full of vanity, life still matters. Life matters because there is a day, there is a life that is beyond this day, beyond this life. There is a day of what we call, well, what God calls the day of judgment where we stand before the Lord at the end of our lives. And for our lives to have eternal meaning, 
We are called to fear God and to keep his commandments, knowing that there's a day of judgment coming. Now, I don't know about you, but still, that for me is scary. In and of myself. Um, Because I have not loved God with all my heart. I have not feared him as I ought to have. I have not kept his commandments as I ought to have had. And he says that he's going to bring good and evil, whatever we've done in life, to the front. So this isn't good news to me by itself. And so I would say, well, is that, do we have to just throw up our hand and go, oh, well, praise God, no. Um, the question that, that we ask is, okay, well, what's the answer then? What do I have to do to obtain eternal life? And that's not a new question. Um, the good news is that Jesus, who comes onto the scene about a thousand years later, uh, he is asked the same question. And he was asked this question, it's in John chapter 6, he's asked this question when he is super popular in uh, Israel because he's been doing miracles. He had just fed 5,000 people, and the people are like swarming to find him the next day. And when they find him, they come to him, and Jesus, he looks at them, and they, they really want him. But he, he discerns that they want him, not because they want him, but because they want what he can give them in this life. He had just given them bread. They want more bread. They want more things in this world. And Jesus, he preaches the entire book of Ecclesiastes in John chapter 6 in about 37 words. He says this in in verse 27. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes. Do not give your energies, do not give your heart, do not give your mind, do not give your life to that which can be taken away from you. He's not saying don't work, don't, ex- don't give your energies and your time to things. He says it's what you give your time and energies to. Look at what he says. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to what? eternal life. How do you get this? Which the Son of Man will give to you. Who is the Son of Man? Jesus. That Jesus will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. In other words, God has said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so the crowds hear him say that, and he says, they say to him, okay, well then what do we got to do? What do we got to do to do the works of God? What, what, What works do we need to do? And this is my favorite verse in the entire Bible, uh, John 6, 29. This is, if I had a life verse, I guess this would be my life verse. Jesus answers and says this, this is the work of God. Um, this is the meaning of life. If you want to do what God wants you to do, if you want to inherit eternal life, this is the work that you believe in him whom he has sent. He doesn't say, make disciples. 
He doesn't say evangelize. He doesn't say give all your money. He doesn't say raise your kids right. He doesn't say go to church every Although all those things we are called to do. But he doesn't say do those first. He says this is the work. This is the first work that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then he goes down in verse 35 and he says, if you will believe in me, you will understand that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, I am the bread of life that you are hungry for. I am the living water that you are thirsting for. All those other things that I created, they're not meant to satisfy that, that longing that you have right now to have eternal meaning and purpose. He says, I am the one. So when you're asking, so, you know, when, when we're saying there's got to be more than this, Jesus is like, you're right. He is the more that our hearts are desiring. Again, it's not, he's not wanting us to be, uh, it's, it's not that we would have a ministry or that we would um, be in activities where, where we can prove our worth amongst one another. Our purpose is to know a person. It's to know God through Jesus. Our purpose, our meaning is to glorify God. And so he's, he's calling us, Reach Life Church, he's calling us to believe in him, which means that we give ourselves fully and completely to him. We, we bring our dreams. We bring our goals. We bring our very name and our reputations, and we surrender them all before the Lord. We can share, Lord, I want to do this, or I don't want to do that, or we can express our hearts, but ultimately, you're the one who has control of my life, and I surrender it all. And we have to surrender that which is temporal in order to receive that which is eternal. And so as we're moving into 2023, man, this is a, a wonder. I think this is a gift from the Lord every year for us to stop and ask the question, who or what am I living for? Who or what did I live for in 2022? Who or what will I live for in 2023? Is it something temporal that can be taken away? Or is it Jesus, God, who is the eternal meaning of life, who will never leave us, who will not forget us? And so this morning, I want to encourage us all to come to Jesus. Whether it's your first time or whether it's your millionth time, you come to Jesus, bring all of you and present it to him. Just like the song we sang, all I have is Christ. You're all the meaning in my life. I want to encourage us to believe in him afresh, 
so that we can live a life of eternal purpose that glorifies God. Amen?